0: It's gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Liftoff. <laughs> on Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it! He got Same, my first rodeo. Westbrook to the basket. Turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook. House, the three in the lead, you betcha. Coming to biggest shot of the game, and he hits it. In the corner, PJ Tucker.
1: Gordon, by go
0: it's time to you know, accomplish something together that we haven't accomplished before. We both understand that we have one common goal, and that's to win a championship. So <laughs> let's get it.
1: What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. You can go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you will get $10 off your first order. Now, as always, I am your host, Jackson Gatlin. You can catch me on Twitter at JT Gatlin and of course our show is also on Twitter at Locked on Rockets and if you have the time I would sincerely appreciate it if you would subscribe to our podcast, drop us a review, leave us some stars and above all else share the podcast on your social media platforms. That would be great. I would definitely appreciate that very much. Now for today's show we are going to do some what-if scenarios. Basically some scenarios like some what-ifs And we're going to focus on shots. So, some what-if shots that either directly or indirectly impacted the Houston Rockets. And here to help me do that is Rockets Wire editor Ben Dubose. How's it going today, Ben? Pretty good, Jackson. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm not, I, you know, as we were discussing right before we uh, actually started recording, you know, I'm not going to be getting into the uh, German soccer league like (laughs) you are, but, uh, and I'm also not doing Korean baseball. So, pretty much just, you know, same old, same old on my end.
0: Yeah, I think that's fine because we do at least have some positive momentum in recent days. Not that's going to be anything imminent, but uh, NBA, MLB, it does seem like we're not too far away. So hopefully, fingers crossed, a month, six weeks, we'll be back to some form of sports normalcy
1: hopefully. And because we're not in sports normalcy right now, you know, all the different big media outlets, they're having to generate clicks somehow. And ESPN is doing this by, you know, releasing their their top 10 list. And a certain guy that we're all pretty fond of was left out of that top 10 list. So how do you feel about Hakeem Olajuwon being, you know, thrown in at, at number 12?
0: Yeah, that ESPN list. I know that it's a situation where they're trying to do these for clicks. Everyone is desperate for content and for various reasons, recency bias or how prevalent they are in the media at this particular point. There's some names that kind of get an artificial boost. The ones that I look at at the top 10 that I would put Hakeem in front of would be Shaquille O'Neal and Tim Duncan. And the reasons for that, in my opinion, Duncan had a fantastic career, but I've always been a big proponent of peak over longevity. Now, that's not a hard rule that has no exceptions, but generally speaking, when I think of greatness, I look at the five, six-year period that a player was absolutely at his prime. What did that look like? And Tim Duncan had an amazing career, won five championships, but part of the Duncan legacy is that it lasted so long, nearly 20 years that he played at close to peak level, and that's great, but at the same time, his A-plus game was not nearly as good, in my opinion, as Hakeem's A-plus game. Shaquille O'Neal, he won his three titles in LA, he's in the media these days, he's still very popular, so I understand that there's a tendency to put him high on these lists, and he was a really good player, however, besides... Hakeem beating Shaq in the 95 finals, the biggest reason I would go with Hakeem over Shaq is the free throw situation and the fact that you didn't have to think about pulling Hakeem from a game if it was late and close. Just the fact that you had to think about it late in a close game when Shaq was on the floor that you couldn't really run your offense through him, and at times you might even need to pull him, depending on the circumstances, because of his free-throw shooting. That in and of itself, for a guy who's the star of a team, is a big negative. He's still really, really good, not saying that that makes him trash or anything like that, but I would take Hakeem over Shock because of the free-throws, because you could trust him late in the games, and I would take Hakeem over Duncan, despite the fact that Duncan has five championships. Again, for me, I go by the peak and I value the A plus years of Hakeem more than I do the fact that Duncan had a very extended career that went on a lot longer than his peers.
1: Okay. And I can I can get that. I I feel like that's a really strong argument in favor of Hakeem, you know, over those two guys. Now that does and I do want to get to our our what if scenarios here in just a moment, but, you know, that does kind of prompt this question. You know, I usually I'm okay with Kareem being ranked over Hakeem on the all-time list. I'm comfortable with that because it's kind of that mix of peak and longevity. Kareem had sure. one of the uh, you know, most unprecedented peaks and then because of the longevity mixed with the peak, it, w- it was insane. Yep. So are you comfortable with that being on the all-time list? Like Kareem yeah. coming at number three or number four-ish?
0: I don't think I'd put him quite that high, but I'm fine with him being ahead of Hakeem because of the combination. Like I said, I think with Duncan, the reason I have an issue with that, and I was a huge Tim Duncan fan, but I struggle to even look at one year of Tim Duncan's prime and say, this was clearly better than Hakeem's prime. That's how good Dream was. And Duncan, while very, very good, he just didn't have that dominant peak at the Hakeem level. With Kareem, you could. Now, it's a bit of a hybrid, as you said, because then, especially once those uh, Lakers teams in the 80s, he was sort of a, you know, hanging on isn't the right word, but he wasn't quite the um, the, focal the peak that he was earlier in his career. So that's why he's so high on the all-time list, the cumulative, the counting stats. But at the same time... He did have that peak in which I don't know if I'd say his peak was better than Hakeem, but it's at least in the neighborhood. So that's why I'm more fine with that, even though I don't think I'd have him quite at three.
1: Okay, well, that was a nice little jaunt down the uh, all-time list. But uh, without any further ado, I do want to jump into what this episode is about. And this is going to be about our what-if scenarios, specifically focusing on shots that either directly or maybe indirectly impacted the Houston Rockets. So I want to let you take the floor, Ben, and start off with the first shot that comes to mind for you.
0: Yeah, and real quickly, I want to explain my criteria For me on this, and if you do it differently, that's totally fine. I'm not counting blocked shots because even though those are missed field goal attempts by the book, those are more about the defensive play than it is the shot itself. And so what I'm talking about with this, there have been some legendary, for better or for worse, Hakeem on John Starks back in game six of the 94 finals, Manu Ginobili on Harden back in 2017. Mm. Those technically do go down as missed shots, but in terms of how I remember it, that's more a great defensive play. When I think missed shots, I'm thinking if that ball is a fraction to the left or the right, a little bit longer or shorter, how does it change history? The other thing...
1: I appreciate that criteria. That's good.
0: Yeah. And the other criteria that I'm adding to it, for me, I'm looking at it almost strictly through championship win expectancy. And what I mean by that is how it impacted the Rockets odds in that year or moving forward of winning a title. I'm not necessarily looking at the iconic, dramatic shots. And sometimes those can overlap, certainly, but there are a couple of situations I'll run through very quickly. 86, Ralph Sampson in the Western Conference Finals. That was a great shot. It was an iconic shot in Rockets history. However, I don't really believe that it changed the ultimate outcome all that much. They were up three games to one in the Western Conference Finals. If you missed it, they were going to overtime. Great moment, but they were probably going to win the series anyway. Another one, 97, the John Stockton shot in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, that stung. That really, really hurt. It was great for the Jazz. The flip side As much as it stung for a 13-year-old Ben who cried on his way out of, I believe, Compact Center that night after it was the summer. Yeah, um, it sucked. But at the end of the day, it was tied. Even if that Stockton shot doesn't go in, it goes to overtime. And even if the Rockets win that game six in overtime at home, the game seven is in Salt Lake City where they've been largely dominated that entire series. The Jazz were the better team. I don't think the Rockets would have won that series even if John Stockton's shot had not Gone in. So that's sort of the backstory on where I'm looking at. It's not just about the drama, that's part of it, but also how did that really impact the Rockets' odds of winning a championship in that season or uh, moving forward? So I'll start with that criteria. I've got a few from the 90s, got a couple from the 2000s, and then of course this era. I'm going to start with the most recent because I think a lot of our listeners, be it young, old, everyone will remember this. Final game of the 2018-2019 season in Oklahoma City. James Harden misses the second free throw. And then Paul George comes down with the Thunder down to Well, Russell Westbrook passes it ahead to Paul George, who hits the three. The Thunder win by one. That drops the Rockets from the two-seed to the four seed, and because of that, they are playing Golden State in the second round rather than the Western Conference Finals. Now, I understand that the Rockets did lose game six against the Warriors. They were eliminated when Golden State did not have Kevin Durant. However, that's one game out of six. I still would greatly prefer to have faced the Warriors without Kevin Durant. I think over the balance of a full series, that would have been beneficial to Houston's odds. Might have been a wearing down effect with the other Warriors as well, which we saw when they played Toronto, I think. So in my opinion, if either Harden makes that second free throw, which puts them up three, or just simply Paul George doesn't make that corner three, Houston is the number two seed in the West. They're not playing the Warriors until the Western Conference Finals. And at that point, maybe the entire landscape of the 2019 playoffs changes. That's where I'll start. To me, that's... It was a regular season game. I know I feel like a lot of what we're going to discuss is in the playoffs. But when you factor in what it meant for the playoffs for the seedings, I think that was a really, really big what if.
1: You know, and and this is where I, so for those of you listening, basically Ben and I went into this blind. I I suggested we each pick a handful of shots and that we would go, you know, your turn, my turn and kind of discuss these. And I had that exact same shot at the top of my list in the hopes (laughs) that Ben wouldn't pick it first, thinking that this, everything that you outlined for that shot specifically is exactly what I had in mind, which is why it was at the very top of my list. This is essentially like, you know the two thousand three draft, like you just got LeBron James, and I'm about to draft Darko Milicic. Like this, this is oh. what I'm doing right
0: now. <laughs> uh, Sorry about that. It was too no, easy. No,
1: no, no, no. It was it was a perfect scenario, a great shot, and I honestly, you're right. As far as recency goes, it's a great one to pull off first. Um, so with that, though, we do need to hit this first break, and coming back, I will come back with my first shot then instead of this one. Uh, but I do have a quick word from our friends over at Built Bars first. So look, whether you are trying to get in shape or trying to maintain the shape that you're currently at, Built Bars are a great option. You know, maybe you need that little extra protein punch before you start your workout, or maybe you just need a quick meal replacement. You're running late for work in the morning, whatever have you. Built Bars are great for that. They have 16 amazing different flavors. And here's the thing. It's a protein bar, but it it tastes like a candy bar. It's flavorful. It's delicious. They're soft and easy to chew. They're covered in 100% chocolate, hundred percent chocolate. What other protein bar does that? And here's the thing is other protein bars, you know, they're, they're chalky or gritty or grimy when you're chewing them. Not these bars, you know, built bars are, are great. They're flavorful. And whether you're trying to lose weight, maintain weight, they can help you with that. They are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. The mint, the mint chocolate brownie, 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, four grams of sugar, and just five grams of carbs. What other protein bar can do that and give you delicious flavor at the same time? So if you want to check them out, you can go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. So remember, use promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And we are back in here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Rockets Wire editor Mr. Ben DuBose as we are going over these what if shot scenarios in Rockets history now this could be an a direct shot that directly affects the Rockets chances a shot made or missed by a Houston Rocket or it could be a shot you know made or missed by another player as we just went over the Paul George three at the end of the 2019 regular season that effectively dropped the Rockets into the four seed lined them up with the Golden State Warriors that bracket and we all kind of know how that turned out so as far as recency goes I I have to pick a good shot. I kind of want to stick with the 2019 season, but I think I'm going to backtrack one more year. Okay. And I'm going to go with the three-pointer that Scott Foster waved off in the midst of the the missed 27 three-pointers. Because we all know watching a basketball game, and this is the part that bugs me about people who focus a little bit too much on analytics and not enough on just the feel of the game we understand how, how momentum works in a game. And you can feel – you can, as you're watching the game, you can feel the momentum shifting from one team to another as things are happening it, over the course of the game. And I personally feel that that shot, had it gone in, one, we wouldn't have ever hit the, the 27 missed threes in a row. And that's the part yep. that really bugs me about people who constantly just throw, oh, zero for 27 in Rockets fans' faces yep. is because – that shot should have counted. And that was around like 12 to 14 range, somewhere in there. Yep. So if that shot goes in, I, I don't know if the momentum shifts enough, but it stops the bleeding. And I think that shot has to be up there as far as just possible what-if scenarios and thinking about how things would have played out differently in that game seven. And similarly to the Paul George shot, right, is you look at, how that would have mapped out the rest of the playoffs, right? You win that game seven, the Rockets are up against, you know, probably the worst iteration of that Cleveland Cavaliers team in LeBron James' second stint, in my opinion, at least.
0: Yeah, I think they clearly win the finals against uh, the Cavaliers, even without Chris Paul, if they get there. I think that is complete nonsense from – the people on NBA Twitter, and it's largely LeBron's stands, that team was on its last legs, the 2018 Cavaliers. LeBron already had one foot out the door to Los Angeles. They got to the finals because the Eastern Conference was an absolute choke that year. Even the Celtics, who were not at full strength, still took them seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. That was not a good team. It's just a shame what happened with Chris. And I agree. I think it's more than just the fact that it was a four-point play or should have been. The formula for the Rockets in Game 7 against the Warriors was always to ride the momentum because, quite frankly, they were outmanned. They had one All-Star in James Harden against a team with four All-Stars and two MVPs. And that was the best crowd I have ever seen at Toyota Center. I still get chills thinking about it. And, of course, they got out to that 15-point lead in the first half. The formula was riding the emotion of that night. And if that goes in a four-point play, All of a sudden, it doesn't feel like quite the same tidal wave of inevitability. That's what I kind of remember when I think back on that uh, third quarter, Rockets-Warriors Game 7. It's just the fact that all of a sudden, especially when it went to the bench units and you had Steph Curry cooking Ryan Anderson, that type of dynamic, it just felt like the Rockets did not have the horses. And slowly but surely, the Warriors just overwhelmed them with talent. Whereas, if that shot goes in, maybe you're able to ride the wave of the emotion just a little while longer, and in a one game scenario, that's all you need. so yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really, really good one. Um, for my next one, I'll go a little bit further back. It's pretty easy, but
1: the oh, Damian whoa, whoa, whoa. Lillard. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Okay. All right. You know what? You can go. All right. You weren't going to take mine. I was gonna, we were going to go back and forth, Ben. So you got oh, the first okay. pick. I was gonna, It to kind of like snake draft style. No, no, oh, no. It's, okay. it's okay. It's okay. Sorry. It's okay. You go ahead with your shot. It's okay. Cause I okay, already I know it's not we were... the one that I wanted.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just taking the, the Lillard one. I was saying that's my next pick and yeah, going forward, we can do snake draft. That's fine. Um, but the Lillard one for me, because the Rockets were up one in Portland at the time. They had just had they were up two. Excuse me. Uh, Chandler Parsons had that putback, and so that's where I draw the distinction. You know, my criteria I mentioned. I, I'm not really picking Ralph Sampson, John Stockton, because I really don't think it changed the ultimate outcome of that series. And the fact that even if those shots don't go in, you're going to overtime. Whereas the Portland one, the Damian Lillard was so harmful because you were going to win. You were ahead when that went in just 0.9 seconds from a home game seven. And then had the Rockets won a home game seven and the pressure would have been on Portland because they were the road team, they would have at that point blown both game five and game six. They were up 3-1. The Rockets, they would have played the eventual NBA champion Spurs and the Spurs were a great team, not trying to take anything away from them. But the Rockets were 4-0 against the Spurs that year. They, especially with prime Dwight Howard, had a matchup advantage. Am I saying they 100% would have won the playoff series? No, but I absolutely would have wanted to find out. And so that's why the Lillard won. That's the rare occasion. You know, I mentioned earlier that some of these high-profile shots, they kind of get artificially boosted in terms of the what-if lore because people forget about the exact circumstances of the game and how much it really meant in terms of the championship odds, the Lillard one is actually up there because if that doesn't go in, the Rockets have a home game seven. So in my opinion, that's – as far as this generation, the James Harden era, that's up there as well. My apologies for picking out a turn, but I didn't pick yours (laughs) anyway, so you you can have it.
1: All right. Well, you know and I'll tell you what, because I want to stick with roughly that same era, and I I think this helps with the flow of the conversation. I'm actually going to go – a a few years earlier so I guess it's not roughly the same era I apologize but just a a few years earlier I don't want to dive all the way back into the 90s quite just yet but I I I was looking at the the Utah Jazz series the first time around so the 2007 playoffs and this kind of falls out of line with some of the criteria that you laid out but I still I remember this shot so vividly and there's a sense when a shot goes in and you feel it as you know a quote-unquote dagger right Yep. And in game seven, with about a minute left in the game, Mehmet Okur hit a three-pointer yep. to give the Jazz a 99-95 lead over the Rockets. And that shot, to me, was, was truly the dagger of that series. There were a few more possessions. There were some free throws between Yao Ming, Carlos Boozer. T-Mac had a layup. Kirilenko had some free throws. So there was about a minute left in that game when that shot went in. But I truly think that if that shot doesn't go in, Rockets get a defensive stop. They come back down. You know, I, I just think that if that game is, goes in the Rockets' favor, they win the game seven, kind of what we were talking about, riding, riding the high of a game seven win, finally breaking out of the first round and getting into a second round series against the Golden State Warriors, who did have the upset against the one-seeded Dallas Mavericks that year. I don't think they would have had an answer for Yao Ming. And you look at the, the Jazz, they handled the, that Warriors team four games to one. So they they didn't really have an answer for Carlos Boozer. They didn't have that something to mm-hmm. somebody to stop that inside presence, basically. So I think the Rockets would have, you know, maybe four games to two, something like that. The Warriors, I don't think that's hard to imagine. And seeing yeah. a Western Conference finals of Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming against the eventual champion, San Antonio Spurs, you know, I don't know how that series would have played out that year. The Rockets were two and two against the Spurs in that season, but I just would have really liked to see it happen, similarly to you.
0: Yeah. um, I largely agree with that. That's a good hypothetical. Uh, Do you want to pick two now, or do you want to start back with me and then do the snake?
1: Um... Tell you what, we'll hit this last break really quickly and then we'll dive into, because then we don't have to worry about any more breaks. Um, there you go. And then we'll dive in. And we'll just go back and forth with whatever shots we have left uh, that you know the other hasn't claimed yet. So we'll hit yep. this break really quickly after a quick word from our friends over at Blinkist. So I've told you guys about Blinkist before, you know, it's it's basically my, my secret weapon for learning new things when I'm, you know, busy between between work or at the time when I was in school, things like that, you know, sometimes it's hard to find the time to sit down and read. And when you don't have that free time, you can't really, you know, work on your personal development. But Blinkist is this incredible app that solves that problem. So it works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser, whatever have you. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want to read that you've never had the time to read, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com MBA to try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com MBA. And we are in here for our final segment at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, as we hit this final segment, Ben and I are going to go a bit rapid fire because we've got a handful of these shots left, and we want to make sure we fit all of them in. So forget the snake draft stuff, Ben. I'll just let you go first. What do you got?
0: Sure. So I want to throw one honorable mention from the current era. I nearly picked it, but I couldn't justify it over uh, Paul George or – Damian Lillard, but the Kevin Durant three at the end of game three in the 2013 playoffs. That was the eighth seeded Rockets, the first year of James Harden and uh, Kevin Durant and the top seeded Thunder. Keep in mind that game in Houston was after Russell Westbrook had injured his knee in the collision with Pat Beverly. He was out for the playoffs. The Rockets ended up taking that series to six games anyway. But they nearly won game three. They were down 26 points in the first half. They had come all the way back. They were leading by two in the final minute at Toyota Center. Durant took a three from the top of the key that hit every part of the rim. The backboard hit the front of the rim, the back of the rim, top of the backboard, and then it dropped in. And the Thunder won that game. If that goes out and the Rockets find a way to win that game three, They had a shot in that series, even though it was, again, the number one seed against the number eight seed. A lot of it changed when Russell Westbrook went out. And if James Harden and the Rockets are able to stun the top-seeded Oklahoma City Thunder and Kevin Durant, Think about how that would change the playoff legacy of Harden and the Rockets. Not saying they would have won a championship, but to do that in year one, that would have changed a lot of the framing. Not saying that they 100% would have won the series had Durant's three gone out. That would be a big leap. I'm just saying that if it doesn't go down and the Rockets win that game, it's absolutely a series. As it was because it went in, the Rockets were down 3-0, and even though they ultimately did forced it to a game six digging out of a three nothing hole against Kevin Durant was just way too much to ask. So that's an honorable mention, not quite as impactful because I don't think that Rockets team had the potential to win a championship like say the, the Paul George or even the Damian Lillard shot, but it's up there. Um, going back to the Tracy and Yao era, there's a couple that I have in mind. I'll take actually a really good one that I wonder if, if it doesn't go in, how much does it change things? The 2005 series between the Rockets and Dallas Mavericks. Tracy McGrady, the iconic game in which he dunked over Sean Bradley. At the end of it, he had a shot with just under two seconds left that won the game from about 22 feet away. It was a great shot. Ultimately, we know what happened. They lost the series in seven games, and the game seven wasn't even close. They lost by 40 at Dallas. What I wonder, Jackson... If that 22-footer from Tracy doesn't go in and then the Mavs win in overtime, do the Rockets just lose that series in five games? I have to think it's possible because they lost both game three and game four at home. They also lost game five at Dallas, although that was the uh, Michael Finley was standing out of bounds in the final minute of the game when he poked it away. The point is that the Rockets, for a long time, not just in that series, but I would say in the Tracy and Yao iteration of the franchise, they got a lot of juice from taking Dallas to seven, that series. People thought, and there was a lot of talent on that team, but people thought they were so close. And a lot of it was built around the idea of really how that series started and what the peaks looked like. And of course, McGrady had that walk-off. If that doesn't go in, And the Rockets lose that series in five games. Does it take the Rockets as long to make more aggressive moves? We know in 2007, for example, they hired Gerald Morey as the full-time GM. They got him as the assistant in 2006. They let Van Gundy go and hired Rick Adelman. Before the uh, 2008-2009 season, they brought in Ron Artest. Because by that point, it was clear that the prior foundation, Tracy Yao and Jeff Van Gundy, for various reasons, health being part of it, but not all of it, that just wasn't going to win a championship the way that it was. And so for at least a couple of years in the mid-90s, I feel like between the the confluence of health, that's an obvious what if, and then that seven-game series against the Mavs, people sort of held on to the idea that that team was capable of more than it was without major changes. Whereas if McGrady doesn't hit that shot, and let's say they go out in five games against the Mavericks rather than seven, does that force the Rockets to be a little bit more proactive earlier in that Tracy Yao era, rather than just assuming that, hey, we wait for these guys to get healthy, and then come 2007, we're ready to go.
1: That is a huge what if. That's a really good one. Wow. Huh. That's a, okay. I'm, I'm actually really blown away by that one. That's, you know, I feel like that's not, that shouldn't even be like in the, uh, in the, honorable mention category well no that's my actual <laughs> oh, that's pick. your the actual, honorable okay, mention okay the honorable mention was the kd with the durant. One. Okay, okay, yeah there we go all right well with that i'll tell you what i'll hit you with an honorable mention kd one and then my um first shot because i do have a kevin durant shot in here actually okay 2016 uh game i believe it was game five I believe it was Game Five. I've left that off my notes, which is kind of important. But I'm trying, and I was remembering this kind of. That's why it popped into my mind. Was down the line, Katie misses a three that would have tied the game up with the Golden State Warriors, 104-104, with about a minute left in the game. Now, this does kind of fall out of the, you know, it's, it's along the similar lines as like the the Memento Kerr shot that I already brought mm. up. But the implications of if the Oklahoma city thunder were able to actually pull out a victory in that series against the golden state warriors huge for the entire NBA. And I I originally started with Kyrie's three in game seven of the NBA finals, but then I wanted to backtrack even further because I was thinking, you know, if Kyrie doesn't hit that shot, golden state goes back to back. Maybe Draymond doesn't go out and cry in the parking lot and make the phone call to Kevin Durant, like all all this stuff. Right. But then I was like, no, let me backtrack even further because that could have still happened. Right. Even if the warriors win, You know they're they're still going to go after the high profile free agent in Kevin Durant. You know if if they even have a remote shot, they're going to go after him. So I went further back and I was thinking about Kevin Durant and his legacy and how he appears in social media and whatnot. And if he had been, you know, the catalyst to, you know, push the Thunder over, you know, the the previous season's champion Golden State Warriors and then go to the finals, and who knows what would have happened in the finals between that Oklahoma City team and the LeBron James-led Cavaliers. Right. I mean, that would have been a final. Of, obviously, that finals that we got was still really, really good. One of the best finals of all time, arguably. But I still wonder what it would have looked like seeing KD and LeBron go toe-to-toe with those respective teams rather than the you know, David versus Goliath-type matchups that we got between LeBron and KD once he made it to the Warriors. Now, so yeah, that's, I, that, that's my, my honorable mention for KD. Yeah, that's a really good one um now I, and this this may or may not be low hanging fruit but it has to be mentioned the kiss of death yeah. the, the the ramifications behind that one the rebranding from choke city to clutch city you know the comeback against the suns in the midst of you know what was the the hardest playoff or one of the hardest playoff runs of all time through the right it was jazz first sun second uh spurs western conference finals and then uh, the, uh, the the Magic were kind of like anticlimactic towards the end. But, you know, one of the greatest playoff runs of all time.
0: I think that's high on anyone's list, and I agree. That's one that, even though the game was tied, if that doesn't go in with 10 seconds left, the Suns at home with the ball, they have the storybook chance to finally throw the dagger in their longtime rival. They had been very good offensively in that game. Actually, a subplot to the kiss of death, I would say Kevin Johnson started the game 21 of 21 on free throws. And he missed his 22nd, which kept the game tied. And that's why Mario Eli's three put the Rockets up by three points. Not saying it dramatically changes if the Rockets are down one, what the approach is. But then at that point, the Suns, all they need is a bucket to tie or a three to win. Of course, what ended up happening after... Um, Ellie made that three. The Rockets were ahead of their time with Rudy T. They started fouling so that the Suns could not get off a three to potentially tie the game, which ended up being astute. And one reason why I always say foul up three, barring very unusual circumstances. And if it doesn't work out like what we saw, Rockets-Celtics at the end of February, that's just awful, awful luck. Generally speaking, you're better off trying to foul up three. And yeah, the Mario Ellie shot, if they miss it, then the Suns almost certainly get the ball, and they've got 10 seconds left at home to win the game. Worst case, goes to overtime, and they're at home. So, yeah, that was as ballsy as it gets, and I think it's up there for any Rockets fan.
1: I don't remember if in subsequent years, you know, as they discussed the shot, was that the original drawn-up play, or was there something else that was supposed to happen, and it wound up just being Mario was open in the corner, so they went with it?
0: Well, I think they talked about the... What they were hoping to do was get the ball to Hakeem on the low block. So it was a situation. The Suns gave them, gave them a little bit of pressure. And so Ori was the guy who got the ball. I forget. I think it was Kenny who they got it into initially. Got it to Ori at about the mid-court line. He fired the cross court pass and what they were, what everyone expected them to do, and what I think had largely been drawn up on paper. Now, it was a little bit of a scramble situation since the Suns hit them with press, so I don't think we can say it was really drawn up. But I think typically the normal read would be for Ellie in the corner to then dump it down to Hakeem in the post and let him do his thing. It's just whoever was responsible for Ellie sagged a little bit. He had the opening, and rather than trust the greatest player of that generation at least at the time ellie had the swag to just put it up himself because he was open a corner three is as textbook as it gets as far as uh shooters in the nba and fortunately he switched it and we all know what happened after that
1: swag yeah sorry i just had to throw that in there no (laughs) um uh, all right so i've got i've got one more shot and one more honorable mention what else do you have on your list
0: Uh, I've got one more honorable mention and let me think. I've got one more honorable mention and two more shots. All right. You
1: knock out yours. I'll knock out mine and that'll be a wrap.
0: Okay. So honorable mention 2004 playoffs, one from the Yao Ming era, not yet Tracy McGrady, but game one of Rockets Lakers. Jim Jackson had a three out of the corner at the buzzer wide open that he missed. It came up short. Perhaps it was appropriate because the final score was Lakers 72, Rockets 71. What a brutal game. And of course, the epitome of uh, Jeff Van Gundy basketball. But as it turned out, that game was in L.A. The Rockets ended up winning game three. If they win game one and the result of game three goes the same way, the Rockets are up two games to one in that series. Game four was close. Now, as it turned out, the Rockets lost four games to one, but they had a wide open shot at the buzzer to win game one in L.A. Who knows what happens If that goes in, Jim Jackson just missed it, and yeah, kind of fitting again for the Jeff Van Gundy era. And I'm not saying that if they're more competitive in that series, that they don't trade for Tracy McGrady. I think even if the Steve Francis era Rockets could have fared better, I think ultimately everyone knew that T-Mac was a superior player. So I don't think it would have changed the long term all that much, but at least in terms of giving you a fun series, I think – that shot going in in 2004 and keep in mind that was the first year that the Rockets with Yao had made the playoffs was the first time I think they had made the playoffs at all since 1999 so even though I don't think it would have changed history that much they're not going to win the championship that year and I still think they trade for Tracy McGrady at the very least it would have been a very fun series had that Jim Jackson shot gone in but ultimately I don't think it changes history that much that's why it's honorable mention uh the final two that I've got and one of them is from that same '95 Suns Rockets series. At the end of Game Five, when the Rockets were down three games to one, they were down two with 16 seconds left. They had to foul intentionally. Charles Barkley goes to the line, misses not one but both free throws. Then Hakeem goes down, he hits a turnaround jumper, they tie the game. But the Suns game tied with about 10 seconds left. They get the last shot. They get a wide open three from Wesley Person, who had shot. Nearly 44%. I went back and looked it up on threes that year and it went halfway down, popped out at the buzzer. If Barkley makes those free throws, or of course, if Wesley Person hits that open three, that's it. And the Rockets only have one championship. So It always takes a little bit of luck for any champion. I know fans hate to admit that, but the Rockets got some in 1995 in that game five. Now you could argue, and I think there's a lot of truth, Clyde Drexler in that game was not himself at all. He was very sick that day. He played poorly. He was basically out there as a decoy. So you can argue that that was sort of luck evening out, fate, whatever you want to call it, for the Rockets not having Clyde Drexler. He was very sick that day and basically just went out there and played, gutted it out, largely as a decoy for a team that wasn't all that deep. But yeah, I think um, Barkley's two free throws and then Wesley Persons' three popping out. If not for that, the Rockets lose game five and the entire narrative of the 95 team changes because, of course, they still had a nice series against the Jazz in round one, but they lose four games to one against the Suns in round two. We're not talking about that team. Not only do they not win the championship, but they're not even making it that deep into the playoffs at all. And that's, so a it's the-
1: that's a moment, that's a shot that kind of gets lost in the, you know, it, it, with, the, with the kiss of death being, you know, following it up further down the line.
0: Yeah, but I just think that uh, the Rockets certainly, we spent most of the podcast talking about things that went against them. So I certainly don't want to make it seem like that they were lucky because God knows, especially in recent years, they have had plenty of things uh, not go their way. And the last one that I want to throw out there, and I actually did an article about it. Um, yesterday on Rocketswire, I was listening to Matt Bullard's interview on Sports Talk 790 earlier this week, and he casually threw out there that if they had beaten the Seattle Sonics in the 93 playoffs, that he thinks they would have three-peated. And I was caught off guard because really, I would say the 92-93 playoffs were was the first time I have some memories thinking back to my childhood. I was eight years old at the time, so I don't really remember you know, the day-to-day grind of it. I think the playoff series in particular, it was a seven-gamer in the second round. That was the first kind of flashes that I look back to Rockets basketball as a kid. I can think back to that game seven that they lost in overtime at Seattle. But sort of my recollection of it, Jackson, looking back, okay, so they went 55-27 and 27 that year. They were tied for the second-best record in the Western Conference with Seattle, and that's mm-hmm. where they played in the second round. It went seven games. My recollection was that, okay, that's a pretty good team, but they probably weren't going to win the championship anyway, and they went seven games, basically a coin flip game seven, against the team they had the same record with. Now, I know that they should have had home court, the home – team won every game in that series and the Rockets lost the last two games of the regular season so there's some parallels you can draw between that and what we talked about earlier with Paul George there was a putback that David Robinson had that was clearly after the buzzer back then there was no instant replay they counted it and so the Rockets sort of felt like they got screwed but I just said you know what that really wasn't a championship team it was a feel-good story the year before I think they kind of hovered around 500 I don't even think they made the playoffs in 92 I could be wrong and have to go back and look but the bottom line is that team sort of like that iterations uh, that generation in Houston, their version of the 2015 Astros, a young team that sort of overachieved, and then you had the role players stepping up: Kenny Smith, Vernon Maxwell, rookie Robert Orridge, set the table. That's just the very general. If you weren't a real big fan back then, way you frame the 92-93 Rockets. However, when you dig deeper, there was a lot more to that team. They started 14 and 16. Well, to get to 55 and 27, that means over the final 52 games, they went 41 and 11. That's a 65-win pace over a full season. They had separate winning streaks of eight games, of 11 games, of 15 games. That team was a juggernaut. And even if they had beaten Seattle, okay, you would have had to still beat the Suns and then beat the Chicago Bulls in the NBA Finals. Well, they beat the Suns the last two games of that season, and then they beat the Suns the next two years in the playoffs. We were just talking about that. And then the Bulls, of course, that gets into what we've been discussing the entire last dance, the fact that the Rockets, 91 through 93, they were 5-1 and one against them. In the 93 season, they were 2-0, and, oh, and both of the wins were by double digits. So between the matchups and also really just the way that team played the final 50-plus games the regular season, that wasn't just a pretty good team. Whatever it was, they flipped the switch, and they were a legitimate juggernaut. And that brings me to the actual shots, the Game 7 in Seattle, They had two looks. The end of regulation, it was tied. Kenny Smith, great shooter, had a wide open corner three that would have won the game as time expired in regulation, just off to the right. It goes to overtime. The Rockets get a shot down one in the closing seconds. Maxwell pump fakes. He drives to the left baseline, has an 18-footer. That one is just off to the right. It might have been slightly short as well. But you had two good shooters with relatively good looks. The Kenny Smith one was a really good look. And Kenny Smith and Vernon Maxwell, they certainly redeemed themselves in the next couple of years on those championship squads. Not saying that they did something horrible, but that 92-93 team, when I look at the data, they're a lot better than I thought just based on my memory as an 8-year-old kid and then just looking at the standings in hindsight as an adult. You could make a case, as Bowler did, that that team could win a championship and. Quite frankly, they were one shot away. They had two opportunities, one at the end of regulation, and then one at the end of overtime with good shooters, just needed one to fall. Neither did. And Seattle moved on. The Rockets did not. And ultimately, that's a big part of how the Bulls ended up getting the third title of their three-peat and what led uh, Michael Jordan to retire after that season. So I'll let you wrap up, but those are my 90s version of Rockets what-ifs.
1: That's a that you're right. The complexion of what the '90s would have looked like had that one come to fruition is that that's a pretty big one. Um, wow! And then we wouldn't be dealing with the constant oh the Rockets two championships have an asterisk on them because Jordan wasn't playing.
0: You know, or you would have just gotten to see what it would look like. Exactly. I mean, we yeah. all would have loved one Elijah one Jordan series. And if you wonder when was it most realistic. Yeah, to me, looking back, 93 was when it was most realistic. And by the way, that version of Hakeem had the most win shares of his entire career. So you could argue that even more than the championship years, that was peak Hakeem. At least statistically, that's an argument that you could make. Played all 82 games, durable, had everything. And so to me, that was the year that we were closest to getting Rockets Bulls you could argue maybe 95 but again I think that 95 Bulls team everybody likes to say that Jordan was rusty no it was that they had lost Horace Grant but they had not replaced him yet with Dennis Rodman they just weren't as good as the Orlando Magic 93 was the closest that we got to sort of having Pete Coliseum versus Pete Jordan and I just think it gets overlooked in Rockets history it's sort of that generation's, as I mentioned earlier, 2015 Astros. No one really thinks about it because, of course, a couple of years later, the Astros did win it all. And that was sort of the timetable that everyone expected the 2015 squad kind of ahead of schedule. But at the same time, if you're a diehard fan, you know that 2015, they had the Royals, the eventual World Series champions, beaten. They were up four in the eighth inning of a closeout game. They should have won. And if they knock out the eventual champions, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the Astros could have won a title that year. And even if it was ahead of schedule, it hurts because we all know you don't have that many years where you can legitimately win a championship. And that's kind of what the 92-93 Rockets were like. Other than Hakeem, who had played eight or nine years, that supporting cast, Kenny Smith, Vernon Maxwell, Otis Thorup, rookie Robert Ory, they were still kind of growing in the development stage. A lot of those guys in their mid to late 20s. And people sort of thought a couple of years down the line was when they would get to the true contending level and ultimately they did they won the two titles but 92 93 going in it was a team that was sort of hovering around 500 the year before that didn't make the playoffs and so I think it was one of those years for the fan base any success you know they would happily take it I'm looking back very quickly uh yeah 91 92 the Rockets missed the playoffs they were the nine seed 42 and 40 so any success at all for that team people were largely pleased with and so Nobody looks back and does that many what-ifs, especially because they ended up winning the title the next two years anyway. However, 92-93, they did have a much more dynamic team than I remembered. I think a lot of what NBA Twitter remembers. That team could have won it all. And ultimately, beyond just the fact that it could have won it all, that was probably our best chance, as you said, just as a general sort of NBA argument through that lens. That was the best shot we had of seeing peak Elijah one versus peak Jordan
1: definitely a battle everybody would have liked to see and that I would have liked to you know revisit on YouTube since I didn't exist yet (laughs) (laughs) um so I'll I'll wrap things up with my final shot and my final honorable mention so I'll, I'll do my final shot first and do the honorable mention last um Harden had a chance at the end of game one in 2019 to tie the game up and You look back at that series, the second time, you know they're playing the Golden State. Well, not second time, but you know they're playing the Golden State Warriors after coming off of the, you know the the seven game series the year prior, and that series, every game was decided by what, like five points or less, or six points or less, just a couple of possessions, and. Looking at that game specifically, had they been able to steal game one on the road against the Warriors rather than go into what was, you know, down the line an 0 2 hole and have to bounce back games three and four here in Houston, I feel like that playoff series would have had a different makeup. And similarly to what we were talking about with the Paul George shot earlier, you know, potentially not even having to play the Golden State Warriors until the later rounds of the playoffs, or potentially not at all, depending on how things, you know, play out if they played another team in the second round. But in this series, particularly, I just feel like they could have, if they had stolen game one, I just yeah. think the entire outlook is a little bit different because then you have this team that's really, you know, riding the juice from the year before thinking, you know, this, is, this is our year. Now we were, we were knocking on the door last year. We came up, you know, a hamstring short with Chris Paul and this year we're healthy. We're right. And granted that three pointer would have only tied the game, but I genuinely feel like they would have been able to pull it out in overtime. And that might just be blind optimism and it probably is a little bit of blind optimism and a, and a little bit of bias, but just thinking about how all those games, how close they really were. Had that shot going in, I gone in. I think it would have changed the outlook personally.
0: So that's, yeah, I think it could have. By the way, I, I think the Rockets largely had to fight to get back in that game. They were losing for the majority of the fourth quarter. So yeah, I think if it goes into overtime, especially if Harden hits a late three, they have all the momentum.
1: So that that would be my last, you know, legitimate shot that I think changes the complexion of you know the NBA landscape or the potential champion. And my last honorable mention. It actually doesn't. It, involve championships or the playoffs at all but it does involve a big chunk of NBA history T-Max 13 and 35 I think that's it's Mm. such an iconic moment in NBA history and it's an iconic moment for Rockets fans and I think that if you take away you could you could point to and you could say you take away any one of his you know three pointers during that stretch right but I think if you take away the last one it becomes one of the most heartbreaking endings to watch T-Mac <laughs> go off for you know 10 points in the final 30 seconds of a game and then he pull, you know he dribbles the length of the length of the court pulls up in front of Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and rises up misses it. and misses it that would be so anticlimactic and so painful even for a regular season game though so yeah. I just, that's why it's an honorable mention and not one of the serious ones, but it just came to mind when thinking of kind of some of the iconic shots throughout Rockets history.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good add and thought, but yeah, if you do everything that he did and then that last shot doesn't go in and they lose. Oh man.
1: Just imagine like Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air like that, like that for the final shot, like everything leading up to it. And then just. Like, off the backboard, no iron. Like, I don't know, but um, hopefully he wouldn't have missed that bad. And he didn't miss. So, um, as for today's episode, I think that's where we'll wrap things up for. So, Ben, you know the drill. Let us know where we can find all your stuff at.
0: Yep. Ben Dubose on Twitter, the Rocketswire on Twitter, and then stories at RocketsWire.usatoday.com.
1: All right. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you all so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.